Hi, welcome to the Midtown Vineyard Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us online. For daily encouragement, events, service times, and more, check out our website and social media. And now, this week's message. For the vast majority of their marriage, they couldn't have kids. They'd given up. And then he came along. He's an only child. He's all their hopes and their dreams, and yet she still remembers the day. The day she had a visitor who appeared to her and said, hey, good news, you're going to have a boy, a baby boy, and he's going to be amazing for the nation of Israel. He's going to do great things for his people, and as much as she didn't believe it, she cherished it. She tucked it away in her heart. She held on to it. She still remembers the time she told her husband, and he said, boy, if that's true, he had a simple prayer. God, would you reveal it to me? Could you send someone to tell me? And that same angel appeared to him. An angel comes down and says, Manoah, you'll have a son, and he's going to take a Nazarite vow. Never cut his hair. Don't let him touch any dead carcasses. He can't eat any drink that's had fruit and any any fruit of the vine, no wine. His outward appearance is going to make it obvious that the Lord has separated him for his own use. And Manoah, the Bible says, makes a sacrifice. And the Lord goes up with the sacrifice in the flame. That's a good day. And I never quite understood all the ins and outs of it as a little kid. Not in Sunday school, not growing up coloring the pages of this story. Of course, I knew Samson. I knew him as the hero. I didn't understand him quite the way I've understood him this past week. And that's where we're going to look for just a moment. I know we're finishing the book of Ruth. We will finish Ruth today. Some of you guys are going, I thought this was Ruth. Why are we talking about Samson? It's okay. Calm down. But open your Bibles to Judges chapter 14. If you brought your Bibles, if you didn't, you can raise your hand. We've got a lot thrown around, thrown around, not thrown around, but stacked around this room. We can get you one of those. If you have a device, you can use it. We put the addresses on the screen. We want you to see where it is but we don't want to tell you what it says. We want you to see it for yourself so that you can know I'm not lying to you. I might otherwise. Judges chapter 14. I just took you into 13 of his story. We're going to talk about Samson for just a moment, but as a way to make a beeline to the closing of Ruth. Ruth takes place in a book, remember, called Judges. We talked about this four weeks ago. The first verse of Judges says in the day, uh, sorry, the first verse of Ruth, says, in the days when the judges ruled, these were the sorts of people who were leading Israel. Samson is one of the people who is leading Israel in this time. Manoah and his wife can't have children. An angel of the Lord tells them they're going to have a child. Now suddenly they have hopes and they have dreams. This was one of my favorite characters growing up. I loved coloring him. I didn't love coloring some of the other characters that we colored in Sunday school. It was always dudes with miniskirts and harps, you know? And I was like, oh man, like that's so confusing as a kid. You're like, why is it? You know, they're like, this is the kind of guy that God uses. And I'm like, mm, you know? And then you get over to Jesus, and at least he has a long gown on. But he also had the Messiah sash. You guys remember the Messiah sash? It's like, I guess he just won a Messiah contest. Like, how did they put? He always had a sash on, right? But you get to Samson, and you're like, oh, Samson was like my hero. 
Like, like I went to one of those schools that were like, we're not going to do a costume party for Halloween. You know, um, we're not going to, don't wear anything scary for, for the Halloween part, for the block part. Sorry, fall festival. Um, don't wear anything scary to that, right? And I would always dress as Samson because I'm like, Samson was my guy. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Here's what the narrator tells us about Samson. Samson, this is the kind of guy he is. I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to get, we're going to have to stop every three words. Samson went down to Timnah. And there he saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen, that's my Samson boy, I have seen a Philistine woman from Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. It's like, okay, pause. Samson just tells his parents who he's going to marry. Like, in this culture, parents picked out a bride for their sons, and Samson's like, nah, I'm kind of bigger than you. You know, dad's like, I wish you wouldn't pick her, but what am I going to do? You're all yoked up. You know, that guy's big. I can't tell him what to do. He goes, get her for me as my wife, and dad tries to lean in. He tries to steer his son a little bit. Verse 3, his father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the Philistines to get a wife? And Samson goes, uh... Have you seen her? <laughs> Get her for me. I mean, he just tells them what to do. And we watch as the story plays out. Verse 5, he goes to Timnah together with his father and his wife. I used to love this part when I was a kid. I'm reading it now as an adult, and it's a little different. He approached the vineyards of Timnah, <laughs> and suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. Right? He's walking to this village, and a lion comes out to attack him. And watch, most people would run, not Samson. Look what he does. The Spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. What? Are you serious? Like, okay, so he picks a woman that he's not supposed to have. He tells his parents he's going to have her. He goes with his parents to the woman. A lion comes out. Mom and dad run off into the woods, and Samson's like, Roar! you know, and it says he tore it apart with his bare hands as you might tear a young goat. Is that a thing? Were they tearing young goats back then? They're like, that's a sign of masculinity or strength? They're like, well, how do you do with the young goat? Uh, it's like, he needed perforated edges. Like, what is, what's happening here? You just tear a young goat? We have a birthday party for my daughter later out at Thompson Farms. There's going to be young goats there. Not once am I going to think, I wonder if I could tear that in half. You know, like, I want, so it's like the narrator here. Here's like he sees a lion, and he's now that's all I'm going to think about with the young goats at the birthday party. Oh man! But he sees a lion, and he's like, like you would a young. Go he doesn't even get scared of the lion. This is my guy. That's a he sees a lion. He doesn't back down. Just boom, rips it, tosses it in the ravine, keeps going. Verse eight. Sometime later. He goes back to marry her. He turns aside to look at the lion's carcass. You know what's happening here? Like any young guy, like any dude, he's like, I know where my past battles were. I know where the bodies are. I want to see proof. Of, I think I yeeted a lion over here somewhere, right? I tore that thing up. Like, oh, there it is. It's in the ravine. Right? He goes over to it. He sees it, and there's a swarm of bees in it with some honey. So basically, it's decomposing. It's been some time. The rib cage is now showing, and there's some bees in there. And Samson goes, oh, I'd really like some bees. 
You, this is, I never noticed this as a kid. Verse 9, he scooped out the honey with, okay, you're not as amazed by this as me. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. I read that as a kid, and I'm like, cool. I read it now as an adult, and I'm like, wait, what? If this were Tommy's story, right, it would be Tommy saw the honey, and he went and got one of his friends with those white suits, you know, in the mask, and they put it on, and a couple hours later, they had some honey. Not Samson. He just reaches in there with his bare hands. He's like, you know, what is this? And he just eats the honey. Like, this guy is, how much more amazing could he get? When I colored that, I mean, this is why he was my hero in Sunday school. It's like we, we, got to, we got to look at this guy and go, man, give me Samson. This guy is amazing. Verse 10, his father went down to see the woman and where Sam, Samson held a feast there. It was custom for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. While he's there, this is so funny, not very wise, but he makes a bet. Remember, he married a Philistine woman, so he makes a bet with her family at the wedding ceremony. This wedding ceremony is like seven days long, and he goes, this is going to be a little bit boring, so let's put a wager out there. I got a riddle, and they're like, give us your riddle, and he's like, all right, I got a riddle. If you win, then if you get the answer to the riddle, I'll give you 30 pieces of clothing, right? And he's like, but if you guys get the answer, then you have to give me 30 pieces of clothing. And they're like, wait, is this like one-on-one or all of us versus you? And he's like, all of y'all versus me. I'm smarter than all of you. And they're like, all right, give us the riddle. Verse 14, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. That's a pretty good riddle. Because they don't know about the lion, right? This is about the lion. He's like, they don't know about that. They'll never get it. And for three days, they could not give the answer. For three days, her whole family at a seven-day wedding celebration, they can't come up with the answer. No one knows the answer to the riddle. And finally, the young lady, you see in verse 16, she starts crying. We see, if you know a little bit about Samson, this is sort of a weakness for him. He gets tricked a lot by ladies, right? She fishes the answer out of him to give it to her relatives. That's what we're about to see. Samson's wife, verse 16, threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me, you don't really love me, you've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. She cries for seven days, right? Why don't you tell me? Why don't you trust me? How can we have a marriage if it's not built on trust? Trust and communication It's the sea of relationships. How can we have a relationship if we don't have communication? He's like, oh my goodness, all right, you know? And he goes, hey, the answer, the answer is honey and a lion. Like, I killed a lion. I took some honey out of it. You feel better? And she's like, yeah, thank you. And then she goes out, and she goes to the family. She goes, hey, guys, I got an answer. And she tells them the answer, right? And, and, and so verse 18, before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town came to him, and they have the answer now to the riddle. They go, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And I'm reading this as an adult now. And he says to them, verse 18, if you had not plowed with my heifer. Wait, what? <laughs> 
He goes, if you, you wouldn't know that if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. So you got this big ripped guy, and he's also got a way with words, right? He's like, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, and the family's got to be standing there like, did he just call you a heifer? Like, that's the craziest. She's like, we have pet names. You know, I call him Big O if he calls me heifer. You know, like, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have known the answer. But a bet is a bet. So now he owes these people 30 garments. So look at what he does. Then the Spirit of the Lord comes powerfully on him. He goes to the neighboring town, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them, and gave their clothes to those who had obeyed. Oh, wait. Hold on. Wait, what? He loses a bet because they cheated. And he's like, oh, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, but a bet's a bet. So he goes to the neighboring town, kills 30 dudes, strips them, brings the clothes back. And he's like, here you go. May want to wash those. You don't like this. There's blood on them, right? He's, how is this guy in the Bible? And then after this, he goes and he hides in a cave. Like this is Samson's story. I'm not skipping anything. I'm reading this again as an adult. When I was a kid, I was like blown away by these stories, right? But I think I had missed so much of what is actually, like if you had said to me, like, hey, true or false, on his wedding day, Samson killed 30 dudes. I would have been like, false. You know, no, true actually is in there. Like that happened, right? He takes 30 clothes, gives them, and then the dad, this is so, Samson goes off into a cave, and now they've still got the wedding festivities going on, because remember, it's a seven-day event. Right? And nobody knows where Samson is. Nobody wants to go find him. He just killed 30 dudes, right? And so dad is like, what am I going to do? Like, we still have all this stuff. We rented the, the place. Like, uh, uh, people took off from work. And so he turns to the best man. He's like, hey, are you married? <laughs> and he's like, no. And he's like, you want to be? Like, because, you know, you got all these people here. So he just marries off the best man to the bride. That's what happens in the story. And you're like, okay, that's fine. Until a few days later when Samson shows back up. Verse 1 of chapter 15, later on at the time of the harvest, Samson went to, the, to visit his wife, but his father would not let, or her father would not let him go in. So Samson shows back up at the home of the wife that he was supposed to have. Can you imagine being that dad, by the way? You're like inside and you hear, you know, and you open the door and you're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> Samson's back, you know. He's like, I'm here for my bride. And he's like, oh. We thought you left. Like I gave her to the best man. And Samson, you look what he says, verse 3. He goes, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. Like last time, okay, I lost it a little bit. Like that was kind of crazy. I shouldn't have killed all those people. But this time I have the right to get mad at the Philistines. This time I will really harm them. And then verse 4, he goes out. He catches 300 foxes. Reading this again as an adult, right? As a kid, fun, you're like, that's cool. As an adult, I'm like, how? <laughs> he caught 300 foxes and ties them tail to tail in pairs. What? How do you do that? How do you just go? Okay, I would assume, I've been thinking a lot about this this week. I would, like, maybe you take a blanket or a sleeping bag or something, and you're like, you know, you get all the foxes, and you try to smuggle them into somewhere, but then you got to tie them tail to tail. That takes, it's 150 pair, right? You have to do that 150 times, right? And then you only got two arms, so what are you doing with them? And so he ties them tail to tail. This is an elaborate plot to get even with the Philistines. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, 
and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up their entire economy. Like, okay, this is elaborate and crazy. You're like, how is this in the Bible? When, when the Philistines saw this, they asked, who did this? Who did this? And they're told, Samson, because his wife was given to his best man. He's just mad. Like, I'm going to go kill 300 or catch 300 foxes and light them on fire and tie their tail. I mean, what? In the, you're like, this is in the Bible? So the Philistines went up and burned her father and her to death. Oh, I heard that gasp. Y'all didn't know this story. It's in the Bible. You should read it. Like, it's, it's published and everything. Like, some of y'all are like, man, I didn't know. Wow, they didn't talk about this one on Veggie Tales. Like, <clears throat> I could listen to stories like this every week in church. As a kid, I mean, it's It's crazy. These crazy stories. Samson is mad because they, they sold off his bride to his best man and nobody knew that he was going to come back for his bride. And so rather than like deal with it, he's like, I know what I'll do. And he catches 300 foxes, ties them tail to tail, lights them on fire, sets them loose. And then he goes off into a cave. And the Philistines are like, wait, she caused this? Then we're going to kill her and her dad. And then they tell Israel, 3,000 of us are coming for you. And so the Israelites are like, we got to go find Samson. He got us in a whole mess of trouble. Chapter 15, verse 14, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. So the setup for this, the verses before it, Samson is hiding out in the cave, and the Israelites come by, and they're kind of like, hey, Sam, Sammy, Samson, hey, can you come out here for a minute? And he's like, you know, they're like, we, we really appreciate what you're doing for Israel and everything. Like, we're not complaining, but you got us into a whole mess of trouble <laughs> with the Philistines. And there's 3,000 of them coming for us. And you're pretty good with the sword. You're pretty good with your hands. You rip young goats in half. Like, you, I mean, you, you're kind of a monster, but we're going to die. Like, if we, and he's like, you're right. You know, I'm going to turn myself in. So he binds his hands and turns himself in on behalf of the Israelites. And as he approaches Lehi, the Philistines come toward him shouting. Then the Spirit of the Lord comes powerfully on him. The ropes on his arms become like charred flax. The bindings drop from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey. I don't know why it's got to be fresh, but I mean, that's a specific. Like finding a, maybe because the teeth are still in it and that makes a good weapon. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabs it. And strikes down a thousand men. <laughs> what? Like, again, as an adult, you're reading, as a kid, I'm like, that's a cool story. As an adult, I'm like, how long does that take? To kill a thousand people? That's got to take a minute. And how bad of fighters are they that a thousand of them can't stop? How does that even happen? I mean, this isn't Thor's hammer. He's like, one, two, three, four, four. You know, like he's got to take them down one by one. And then as he walks away, look at verse 16. He says, as he walks away, with a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys of them all. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. In your Bibles, it's like indented, right? Like song lyrics. Guy's dropping rhymes on his way out. He kills a thousand guys, and he just starts dropping around. I'm like, this is an amazing character. This is in your Bible. Because these stories are in your Bibles. The people that God uses are really messed up, weird, crazy, 
odd, unusual characters, and he uses them. Look at verse 20. Samson led Israel for 20 years. Does that, I mean, is that shocking to you? This isn't a weekend. This isn't a week-long thing. This isn't a month, 20 years. God let this crazy, unusual character reign over his people. 20 years. That's how 15 ends. Chapter 15 ends. God uses them for 20 years. 16 verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in and spent the night with her. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? And God's using this guy? Are we missing a chunk of scripture here? Like what happened between 15 and 16? And you guys know how his story ends, right? He falls in love with a woman named Delilah who cons out of him, just like in 14, cons out of him the answer to his strength, and she uses it against him, and he becomes bound, and his eyes are gouged out, and he's led off to be the, the prisoner of the Philistines. And I read this story, and I go, how does anybody think the Bible's boring? Have you ever, I mean, so many of you have come up to me in the past few weeks. We've been studying Ruth, and we are. We're going to close out Ruth today. But as we've been studying Ruth the past four weeks, so many of you, so many of, so many of my own thoughts, I'm kind of going, man, I didn't know this was so powerful of a book. Like, I don't, I remember we said in week one, it's kind of a chick flick. When I was younger, like, you didn't admit to your friends that you were reading Ruth because the ladies read Ruth. It was the romance novel of the Bible, right? So I would never tell people if I was reading it, and I just sort of overlooked it for years. And then for this series, for this study, I've been going back into Ruth, and I'm going, shut up. This is so rich. There's so much in here. And so many of you have been saying the same thing. I've never seen it like that before. And I go, guys, there's so many people in the, what else have I been missing? There's so many people in the Bible that it's not a boring book. It's, it's unbelievably exciting, like not, but there's some crazy characters in here. I went back this week and just reread the story of Samson, and the whole time I'm going, this is nuts. The people, the unusual characters in this book, and it doesn't start with Samson. It doesn't start with Ruth. It goes all the way back to the beginning. A guy named Adam, right? God makes, he creates a guy named Adam, and then he goes, oh, I think I can make something even better, and he makes Eve. Any girl power in the room whatsoever? I mean, that was like crickets. <laughs> and when Adam sees Eve, you know, he's like, you get to name her, and he's like, whoa, man. And that's where her name, I don't know if you knew that, like that's where her name comes from. These, <laughs> these really odd characters, and Adam and Eve, like, they mess up. Like, Eve ate first, but she gave it to Adam. But Adam knew what was going on, and there's that, you know. And then Cain and Abel, and one kills the other, and you're like, what in the world? And then by chapter 5, you meet a guy named Noah, right, whose family uh, needs Like, he's righteous, and God decides everyone else is so unrighteous that we're going to flood the world and start over. And, but I'm going to save you, Noah. I'm going to put you on a big boat, you know, and, and we're going we're gonna to rain down. You're going to be saved, you know, and then everything's going to be okay, and he gets off the boat. You guys remember the story of Noah? Did you know that the Babylonians have a story just like it? Did you know history, like archaeology, they've uncovered stories. This other culture, the Babylonians, have a flood narrative. And only, only their Noah, his name is Utnapishtim, which is really fun to say. Utnapishtim. And in, and in their story, like, it's so similar that when I was in university, when I was an undergrad, right, they would go, this is proof that the, the flood narrative is all made up. Every culture has a flood narrative. And I'm like, yeah, or 
It's proof that there was a flood, and every culture is trying to figure out, how do we tell that story? The Babylonian flood narrative with Utnapishtim, he, he, you know, he's, he's living, and the gods decide, oh, the, the people down there are so awful. We got to start over. We're going to kill them all. May want to build an ark, you know, and he starts building an ark, and then he floods everything, and then he gets off the ark, Utnapishtim does, and the gods are like, man, you are so awesome that we're going to make you a god, and that's the end of the story. Noah's story, on the other hand, the people are so awful, God goes, oh man, you know, we got to start over, but I'm going to save one person, and it'll be you, Noah, so you may want to start building an ark. So he builds an ark, family, animals, they all get on the ark, it rains 40 days and 40 nights, Noah gets off the ark. Do you remember the first thing that he does? Well, first thing he does is he makes a sacrifice to God. Second thing he does is gets drunk. True story. True story. He gets off the ark, and, and, and he, he gets drunk, and I kind of read that, and I go, I get it, Noah. <laughs> like, I mean, think about it. If you were on an ark for 40 days and nights with your family and all those animals, I think you would do the same thing. <laughs> right? And I read that, and I go, okay, which one sounds like a fairy tale, and which one sounds real? Which one sounds made up, and which one sounds a little bit like life? Right? If you were going to make up a story, you would have your main character get off the boat and become a god. But if you were going to tell a real story, you would have your main character get off the boat and get drunk and sin, and God goes, hey, control P, print, put it in there. That's what happened. Because this book is about life. This book is about people. This book is about stuff that actually happened. God goes, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to shy away from it. Control P, print, put it in there. Noah gets drunk and God goes, yeah, you got to tell that story right. It's important that we tell it right. All these people, all throughout this book, we kind of go, is this fairy tale or life? God gives us these stories so that we can see this actually happened and there are some crazy characters in here. That's how the book of Ruth starts. This book that we started four weeks ago, the first line of it is in the days when the judges ruled. Pause. Samson was one of those people. Samson has a crazy story. And God goes, I know. Control P, print. Put it in there. This happened, and I need people to know that this is how I work. These are the people, the goofballs, the messed up characters that I work through. We watched for four chapters, the last four Sundays, how God took this messed up situation and messed up people and turned it into his glory. Didn't we see that? We met a guy named Elimelech who's got, whose name literally means God is my king and whose life doesn't show that. His life shows that he's living as if he is king, right? And God goes, yeah, control P, print, put it in there. Because there's people like that that need to hear that story. We meet a lady named Naomi who changes her name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to the name bitter. She's like, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. I'm a bitter old woman. She's mad at God. She's mad at the world. And God goes, control P, print, put it in there. It's important they know the truth of this. I am not shying away from any. We meet a lady named Orpah who loves Naomi. She loves, you guys remember, if you missed any of this, you can go back and read it. You can go back and watch previous messages. God shows us a lady named Orpah who loves Naomi, but doesn't love her enough to get across the line and be loyal to her. Remember, we said this last week. Ruth and Orpah both loved Naomi. Naomi goes, man, um, would, you, uh, uh, would you go back to Moab? And they're like, no, we're going to stay with you no matter what. They both pledge their allegiance to Naomi. 
And then, and then Naomi talks him into it again. She's like, please leave, please leave, please leave. And we see that Orpah loves Ruth, I'm sorry, Naomi, just as much as Ruth does. But when push comes to shove, Orpah can't get across that line. And she goes back and she fades into obscurity. And we never hear from her again. And God goes, control P, print, put it in there. Put it in there. It's important that they know all the different aspects. I'm not shying away from any of it. We meet Ruth, who steps out over the line. We said last week that faith is believing God enough to do what he says, the key word being enough. Sometimes it's just a, it's a very weak, wobbly faith, but it's just enough across the line. And God goes, that's all I need. That's all I need. Watch what I can do with that kind. Just a step across the line. Just a toe across that line. Watch what I can do when you show me that, right? Just give me, just give me the opportunity to blow your mind. Ruth does that, and the entire rest of this book takes place because she does that. And God goes, control P, print, put it in there. We got to tell that story. This is so important. And now this week, we get to the closing credits. The names that are about to go up the screen. Ruth chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. We'll hit this quick. This then is the family of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashan. I don't know if I'm saying any of these right, but it sounds good. Nashan, the father of Salmon. Okay, if it's a fish, it's salmon, but his name might be Salmon. I don't, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Do you see that? King David ends up being born in the lineage of Ruth. And from chapter one, a chapter that starts in brokenness and emptiness and barrenness, all of us walk out of the theater shaking our heads going, boy, I never saw that. Okay, we started with a script that opens with three freshly dug graves. Three men who have died. A mom who's lost her husband and then had to bury her sons. This incredible gut-wrenching heartbreak of loss of life that many of us have had to share. We know this darkness. We know this pain. It's not just this family's darkness. It comes at a time when judges ruled. In the darkest days of Israel, guys like Samson are in charge. There's no sign or hope from God. Chapter 1 ends with no hope on the horizon. And God says through this book time and time again, let me show you what I can do with a couple of hearts that are faithful. Let me show you. And so then we, we, we follow the tracks of Naomi and Ruth, right? We follow them. And, and guys, look what God did. God gave them a, God gave Ruth and Boaz a baby. And that baby becomes the father of, uh, or becomes Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David. God uses a Moabite, Satan-worshipping foreigner to bring about King David. Are you kidding me? This miracle. You know, the only other place that Ruth is mentioned in the Bible is Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter, so, and we got to jump there real quick. So if you've got your Bible, flip all the way over to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to skip over about 1,200 years, right, into Matthew's gospel. And as you turn there, I just want to catch you up, right? Ruth takes place in that period of the judges. It's not long after that 300-year period that the people go, would you give us a king already? And God's like, but I'm your king. And they're like, no offense, we don't want you. 
And he's like, offense taken. Here's a king. Saul's the king. Then David, remember, because Saul blows it. Then Solomon. And we have the period of the kings. And then you get to the end of the Old Testament with a, with a prophet named uh, Malachi. And it ends the Old Testament. And there's about 600 years of silence at the end of the Old Testament. And then it feels like all hope is lost. That heaven has dried up. There's not a sound coming from heaven. And then a faint cry of a baby rings out from a Bethlehem manger. That's our setup for Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew has to write all this down. Matthew's like, I want to tell his story. And this is what he writes. We're jumping 1,200 years into the future. The author says, I want to give you hope today. Let me give you the line, the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus. He's not going to just appear on the screen. He's going to come from 40 generations of people. And, and, and if you're like me, you're tempted to skip over this stuff. It's like the somebody begat somebody begat somebody begat somebody stuff where you're like, oh boy. Um, it's, hard to, it's hard to follow it. But what I want to show you is this. In Matthew chapter 1, in a day and age where genealogies only ever mention men, the Holy Spirit goes, oh. I got to break tradition and mention four women in Matthew chapter 1. Verse 1, this is the genealogy, and I love this, of Jesus the Messiah. Anybody get chills from this movie? Okay, Jesus the Messiah. Yes, this stuff happened. What you're reading, oh, 1,200 years, we get to Jesus the Messiah, the son of David? The son of Abraham. He goes all the way back, right? Abraham was the father of Isaac. A lot of you guys know that. Isaac, the father, father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was, and there's our first lady, Tamar. You guys know her story? We're going to pick this up in a couple of weeks. Like as we get ready for Christmas, I want to talk about the ladies that are in Jesus' narrative, his genealogy. And I don't want to ruin this too much for you, but Tamar just real quick, just a kind of flying over. If you don't know her story, you should go read it or come back when we talk about Tamar or both, right? She's this crazy, it's a very similar one to the book of Ruth, right? Where, where she has a husband and the husband dies, you know, and in that culture, the dad is supposed to provide a new husband, kinsman, redeemer. He's supposed to give her another son. So he gives her another son and that son dies too. And dad is like, I don't know if I'm gonna give you any more sons. Like you're killing all my sons, right? Everyone who marries you dies. And so he's like, I'm not giving you another son. And she's like, that's fine. And so she dresses as a prostitute. You want to talk about crazy stories? She dresses as a prostitute knowing that her father-in-law is gonna go see a prostitute. And she cons him into sleeping with her and then in the next morning when he's getting ready to leave, he's like, oh, doggone it, I forgot my wallet. You know, she's like, that's fine. Give me some collateral and I'll hold on to it and then we'll square up later. And he's like, okay, cool. He takes off a ring and his walking stick and gives it to her and then he bounces, right? And he's gonna square up later, but she disappears and she's pregnant now. It worked the night before. So now she's gotten her father, she's tricked her father-in-law into impregnating her. So she goes out for a bit, right? Father-in-law goes back home. He can't find her anywhere, and, uh, and then his kids one day come to him, and they're like, hey, Tamar is pregnant. And he's like, are you kidding me? That adulteress, get her in here. We got to stone her to death, right? Not knowing it is, you know. And so they, they get her, and they bring her into the living room, and they're like, we got to stone you to death. And she's like, that's fine. Can you first tell me who these belong to? And dad goes, oh, snap. <laughs> and God goes, control P, print, put it in there. 
She's in the genealogy of my son. I want, that's, that's a part of his story. That's part of the Bethlehem story, a prostitute. We don't sing songs about the prostitute part of Bethlehem, right? That doesn't sound very good, joy to the world and all that. Like, mm. Then we get a little bit later, and uh, Matthew chapter 1 mentions Tamar. And then um, you skip down a little bit, and you see, do you see another name there that you recognize? Rahab. You guys remember Rahab? I don't want to ruin it for you. We'll talk about her in a few weeks. But just to give you a heads up, she's a foreigner who's running a brothel in Jericho. (laughs) And God goes, control P, print, put it in there. She's in the lineage of my son. And we go forward a little bit, and we find out that Rahab eventually has a son. You guys know her son's name? Boaz. Maybe that's the reason he never got married. Maybe that's the reason why he had a heart for a Satan worshiper who's picking grain in his field. Because he grew up with all the prostitution jokes about his mom and the who's your daddy jokes. He grew up understanding a mom who used to be a foreign prostitute who came to know God. And maybe he had a heart for a broken woman who came from Moab in search of God. And God goes, control P, print, put it in there. That's part of that story. That's part of my son's story. That's part of the Christmas story. Doesn't sound so good in Silent Night or Away in a Manger or Jingle Bells. Not a lot of prostitution involved in the Christmas carols, but you can't get to the birth of Jesus without running through some unsavory characters. You can't get to the heart of God without him saying, control P, print, put it in there. Let them know where this Christmas story begins. Let them know where it comes from. And Ruth, what about her? She's in here too, Matthew chapter 1. We read her story. She's an ex-Satan worshiper who made a commitment to God based on something she saw in her mother-in-law, even though there was no hope and no future. And God goes, control P, print, put it in there. We don't want to skip her story. She's got to be mentioned in Christmas, and she gives birth to a boy named Obed who becomes the father of Jesse, who becomes the father of King David. You know who else is in there? Just got to mention it. I don't know if her name is actually in there. She's more of an honorable mention, but you see Bathsheba in there too. If you don't know that story, it's someone that I mean, David committed a huge sin with her, and God goes, yeah, we're not going to cover that up either. We're not going to sugarcoat it. Control P, print, put it in there. And in fact, I'm going to add her to the genealogy of my son. And then you got to jump about 10 verses to verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the fifth woman mentioned, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And he's born in Bethlehem, where Ruth's story takes place. Because out of all the crazy characters in the Bible, all the unusual characters I would argue that of all the unusual, surprising characters in Scripture, none are more unusual or surprising than God himself. The author of the book and the one about whom the entire book actually is. 
He's the point of the story. Not Ruth, not Samson, not Noah. That's why these characters are in there. I think this to give us hope, to find who we are. You know, we got a guy named Elimelech, a guy whose name means my God is king, but whose lifestyle doesn't reveal it. And God goes, control P, print, put it in there. There's a lot of folks who are claiming my name but aren't living it. And they need someone representative in the text to show, boy, you got to stop doing that. Right? We meet Naomi, a woman who's been through some stuff, and she's mad at God. She's bitter at God. And God goes, control P, print, put it in there. Because there's a lot of folks who are in that same place. Some of you have every reason to be angry and bitter at God. And, And I don't think God is afraid of that. And I don't think you should be either to claim it, to own it. He knows. Naomi starts telling people, hey, call me bitter. I'm bitter old lady. That's how you know me now. Like, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter. And God goes, control P, print, put it in there. Own it. We meet Orpah, who, who, boy, she's cheering for Naomi, but she ain't about to cross that line for Naomi. And God goes, yeah, control P, print. There's a lot of folks in this room who are cheering for me, but they're not willing to live as if they're following me. As long as it doesn't cost them anything. And we find Orpah, she fades back into oblivion, never to be heard of again. We meet Ruth, who's faced with the exact same thing. She has no hopes, no dreams, no future. And so she says to Naomi, I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to follow you, and where you're buried, I'll be buried. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And she makes that choice, and God goes, that's all I need. That's all I need to paint this miracle in your life. And she just has to surrender her hopes and her dreams. She didn't have any. And I think that's the same offer that he gives to us. Are you at a place where you'd give up your hopes and your dreams and your desires and say, you know what, I'm going to follow God wherever he takes me. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know how this is going to work out. She had no idea when she went with Naomi that she would be the great, 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 great grandmother of the Savior of the world. She had no idea. She had no idea what hung in the balance. God just gave her one simple command. It was to obey. Obedience. Just follow him. Just follow him. No matter what, three key ingredients you have to write down (laughs) if you want to, to fall into God's hand of providence and be written into his story. Number one is obedience. (laughs) Number two is obedience. And number three, obedience. And we kind of go, oh boy, but you don't know what I've done. I don't care. No offense but I've read some pretty gnarly stories about the crazy stuff that people did. And God goes, yeah, that's not the point I am. I can take that, and I can tell a better story. You don't know the family that I've come from. Oh, yeah? Does your mom trick her stepfather into sleeping with her? And then there's some pretty crazy stories in here, and God goes, yeah, I can use anything if you just give it to me. But you don't know the mess I've made. Oh, did you kill a thousand people with a jawbone? (laughs) God still used Samson. 
The point of this story is not all these characters. The point of the story is a God who would save you, who would, go, who would move heaven and earth to get to you, do anything necessary to get to you. And God goes, hey, control P, print, put it in there. It's important that they know I would move heaven and earth to get them. And guys, you cannot outsin the cross. You can't outsin the characters in here. You can't outsin the grandmas of Jesus. There's some pretty crazy stuff in there. They were deceitful. They were wicked. And God goes, print it. Put it in there. So, what are you going to do? One of these characters represents you. That's why God put it in here. Are you going to surrender? Are you going to believe God enough to do what he says and watch what he can do? Are you going to keep claiming the name but not living the life? Are you going to be afraid to step out over the line or live as if you are king? Because if you would just surrender to him, if that's where you are, just watch what he can do. Lord Jesus, um, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful little book. This crazy little story that would be so easy to miss. I nearly missed it all these years. And it's, uh, boy, it's quickly becoming my favorite. This beautiful story of people, flawed, broken people, guys who live as if they're God, a bitter old woman, an ex-Satan worshiper, son of a prostitute. And God, as complicated and unusual and surprising as all these characters are, none are more surprising than a God who would use these characters to get to us today. A God who would move heaven and earth. You have done everything necessary to get to us, to save us, to do what Boaz did in this story, this foreshadowing, to buy us back, to buy back what the enemy stole, what the enemy broke, what death tried to have the final word on. And you beat that back. And you offer us that life. As we close this, uh, this study, Lord, I feel like I say this every week, but I'll say it again. In about five minutes, the ride is going to start back up. The race is going to be. The race is going to take us and throw us right back into our week. We have this one last moment, this maybe the quietest moment of our entire week, to just catalog what you might be saying. You don't need me to keep talking. I think you just need me to stop. So friends, we're going to take about two minutes. I'll skip softly, plays. My prayer is that the Spirit of God would fall on this room and connect with every single heart in here. One-on-one, on-one, on-one, on-one. After that, we'll sing together. Skip will pray. You're free to go.
If it's your first week with us, we're so glad that you worshiped with us. We can't wait to see you again. But if after that prayer, if you're still um, processing, if the Spirit's still moving in you, we've got nowhere to be. Use this space. Use this room. It's busy out there. But it's safe in here. Jesus, would you speak to us now, one-on-one? again for joining us online. We hope you enjoyed the message. To connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on who we are, check out our website, midtownvineyardchurch.com. We'd love to hear from you. Make sure you leave us a review or drop us a comment. Until next time, have a great day.